Good morning. It's good to be here. Thank you for the song choices. Uh, they're slightly different than the first service, which is a good thing. I appreciate. I don't know if that was planned already, but I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm just so excited to be here this morning, to be able to speak this morning. The last few weeks have been really incredible being in this church and seeing what God is doing around the world through his missionaries. We've gotten to listen to some amazing messages. We've gotten to listen to some testimonies from those that were being baptized. And this stretch of weeks that we've gotten to listen to has just been uh, really amazing. And it it has really encouraged me. And it's one of those things when you, you start to hear those messages and you hear what God is doing through his missionaries. You hear what he's doing around the world. It makes you want to do something. It makes you want to join them. It makes you want to go be a part of it. And yet, here I am this morning because God has called me here. And I'm 100% convinced that God has a purpose for me at Bethel Baptist Church. And so the question then is, how can I be involved with that kind of mission, with that kind of purpose, with that kind of result? I want to be a part of that. And I'll be honest with you, this morning, I had, God, since the beginning of the year, God has kept putting the same word on my mind over and over again. That word is radioactive. And and I'm not exactly sure why that word has been on my mind, but if you look in your bulletin, the title of my message this morning is The Radioactive Church. And as I have thought about that word, and what it means, I, I'll be honest, I had a kind of a preconceived idea of what God was giving me that word for. And God led me to the passage uh, at the beginning of Acts, which is where I'm going to be preaching this morning. But I, I honestly, when I started preparing this message, had an entirely different thought process when I was going into it. And... <clears throat> As I started to study God's word, as I started to study this section of God's word, it really changed what I thought about this section, this mission statement of the church of God. And as I studied it, I realized that my previous thoughts on the word radioactive and what I wanted to preach on were not really what I was going to preach on. So you can take that title and you can file it away, but I am going to get back to it. But you might start wondering here why I titled it that, because I'm not going to get there for a while. As I studied God's Word, I, uh, two things have happened since the last time I preached. Pastor Allen, a man that I, I greatly admire, uh, when he left, or before he left, he gave me all of his books every sermon that he ever preached. He gave me all this information that I've never had before. Usually when I prepare a sermon, I'm, I'm preparing out of one or two books that I've gotten and searching some things on the internet to try and get a better understanding of God's word. But now I have this incredible wealth of information. And then before Pastor Brian uh, left for Lake Ellen, he gave me more books, which just added to my study which normally I would be frustrated about because I'm not one that likes to study, but because of what I was studying, I was so excited about it. When I got those books, I turned to this passage and I I looked up what they had to say about it. 
And as I share this message this morning, I want you to understand that God's got a message for us this morning. It doesn't come from me, but it comes from God's word. And as I studied God's word and learned more about what was going on in the first chapter of Acts, I understand missions in an entirely different way than I ever have before. See, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this morning stuck in between missionaries who have preached the last couple of weeks and missionaries who will be preaching in the next couple of weeks, and I'm not a missionary. I grew up a missionary kid. My parents are missionaries. But I thought, well, what do I have to share? But as I look at, at Acts chapter 1, I think I've got something that spoke to me, but I think it speaks to all of us in an incredible way. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 1 this morning, and I'm going to pray as you do that. God, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people, my family, my church family, and to share your word with them. And God, my words get in the way too often, and I pray this morning that your words would be the ones that they hear. The message of your word would touch their lives and create in them the same sense that you have created in me this week. I pray that as we leave here, we leave here different, closer to you, understanding you better, and understanding what it is that you want us to do. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Acts chapter 1, if you're not already there. It says at verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. I have read that passage before. I've read it many times before. And I always thought that I understood it pretty well. I always thought that I, I got what Jesus was getting at there. As I started to study this week, I learned things about the disciples. I learned things about Jesus. I learned things about the Holy Spirit that I'd never thought about before. And I'm going to share them with you this morning. And then then I want to get back to the word that God keeps giving me. You see, the disciples had been with Jesus. And he mentions, uh, Luke mentions that this is uh, his second book. He says, in my first book, I talked about all that Jesus said and did. And this is his second book. And in that first book, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. 
and he, he spoke about the kingdom of God and he, he talked about it and the understanding of the disciples as they heard him say those words and they heard him talk about the kingdom of God, their understanding was that this was going to be a literal physical kingdom, that he was going to restore Israel to its, to its right place, that the glory of the days of David was going to return to Israel. Jerusalem was going to be lifted up. And not only that, in the book of Luke, in chapter 22, he tells them that they will have positions. They will be rulers over the 12 tribes of Israel. When this kingdom would come, this physical kingdom, they would be lifted up, the disciples. They would have places of honor. And they were excited about that. Which then led me to think, I can't imagine the disappointment and what was going through their minds when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, put in the tomb, and the tomb was sealed. What was going through their minds as they thought about this kingdom that they thought was coming? Surely they had questions about whether this was actually going to happen. They were scared to death. We know that. The Bible tells us they locked themselves away because they were worried about the repercussions of of Jesus now being gone and and being a follower of Christ in this post-Christ era. They were skeptical when they heard that Jesus had risen from the grave. And until he met with them, showed himself to them by what Luke calls infallible proofs, he proved that he had risen from the dead. And I can't imagine at this point the excitement that the disciples felt. This really is going to happen. We really are going to have the kingdom still. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He truly is the Messiah. He truly is God. And now the kingdom is coming. You see, as Jesus was with the disciples in his ministry, he walked with them. He taught them. They began to grow. They began to understand things better. As they worked with Jesus, as they did things with Jesus, they got to know him, they loved him, they had a great relationship with him, and he loved them. They began to connect with Jesus. And as they began to grow and connect with Jesus, they began to serve. And if you read the mission statement of our church, it's Bethel. Christ followers who are who grow, connect, serve, and tell. And I would imagine that if if the disciples had written a mission statement for their lives, for their ministry, it would have been the disciples of Christ who grow, connect, serve, and reign. Because in their minds, this is what they were going to do. They had served with Jesus. They had worked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. They had learned from him. And now they expected to reign with him in his earthly kingdom. And so we hear, are here in Acts, and they ask him a question. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? And Jesus' answer isn't a rebuke of their misunderstanding of what was going on at the time. He didn't tell them, no, that's not what's really going to happen. Because the reality is that is what's really going to happen. Jesus is coming back to set up his earthly kingdom. Jesus is coming back to reign, to restore Israel to its rightful place. That is going to happen. But what he says here is, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I believe before those words were even able to sink in, the next verse happened and it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They're gazing into heaven. The hope of this earthly kingdom being finally realized was finally something they were excited about again, and now Jesus just left again. Now, over those 40 days, Jesus had appeared to them and disappeared. He'd come and gone, but this was a final thing. He had risen up into heaven, taken up by a cloud. The, the, the word cloud there really is referring more to the glory of God. He was taken up and he was gone. And I can imagine as they're looking up there, they're wondering, what now? I thought the kingdom was coming. And he said, it's not for us to know the time or the season, and now he's gone. He didn't explain it. So two men, angels, are standing by them in white robes and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When they said these words to the disciples, I believe the disciples realized that the kingdom was to come later. And as they heard those words from the angels, I think they started to reflect on the words that Christ said just before he was taken up. He says, not for you to know the times or the seasons, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, Jesus had told them in verse 4 not to leave Jerusalem until that had happened. They were to stay there until the Holy Spirit had come to them. The disciples had worked with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was doing great and wonderful things, miraculous things. But the disciples didn't have the Spirit of God. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem because had they just gone out and started to do the work, to be witnesses, their witness would have had no effect because their witness would have been their words, their thoughts, their actions. But Christ says something here. He says to wait for this Holy Spirit. But then in verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. They were to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. This was what was going to make their words worth something. When he describes power here, he's not talking about the power of eloquent speech. He's not talking about physical power. He's not talking about power to outlogic people to give them such a plain and simple explanation that they can't refuse it. He's not talking about the power of deep thinking and understanding beyond everyone else. So what is he talking about? The power of the Holy Spirit. The word there, dunamis in Greek, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I'm guessing. The word there talks about a miraculous power. 
John chapter 6. Uh, sorry, 16. Verses 7 through 8 say this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's power, part of his power, is the ability to convict people of their sin, to work on their hearts, to show them their need for a Savior. This is not the work of you and me. We can't do it. This was not the work of the disciples, great men as they were. No matter how much they worked, they could not convince men of their sin or a need for a Savior, but the Holy Spirit does that. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, if we look towards the end of Acts, Oh, I'm sorry. I'll look it up while I'm talking. The Holy Spirit has another part of his power that is important to us as Christians. Not only is he there convicting people of their sin, working on their hearts, but the Holy Spirit then arranges the times and the places where we'll be able to share that message. as the apostles had gone out and started fulfilling this mission, after they had received the Holy Spirit, they started fulfilling the mission of preaching in uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. And as they were doing that, they had reached the borders of Asia and the Holy Spirit told them not to go into Asia. And as they were waiting, they had started moving and, and they had a vision of a Macedonian man asking for the truth. The Holy Spirit arranged for them to share with him the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ. See, the, the Holy Spirit, his power is in preparing people to hear God's word, preparing people to hear the life-saving, life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And his, his power is also in arranging those moments when we'll be able to share that with them. He talked about this power that they would receive when the Holy Spirit came on him. They were going to be missionaries. They were called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in all of the world. I find it interesting that when he says the end of the earth, if you think of the time that he is saying that in, The disciples understood the end of the earth much differently than we do. They weren't thinking of the places like the reeds are visiting, preaching the gospel in the jungles of of the Amazon. They weren't thinking about places like New Guinea. They thought the world was flat. Not only was Marquette, Michigan, not the end of the earth for them, it was past the end of the earth. They didn't know it existed. They were reaching, reaching the world for Christ, trying to spread the news of the gospel. 
And yet, this job was bigger than the disciples were going to accomplish in their lifetime. This job was bigger. And Jesus, when he left, before he left, said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons when my kingdom will be set up. And then he gave them a job to do. And then he left, and they recognized that it was time for them to do the job because they don't know the time. It could be tomorrow. And so they did it with an urgency. They were sharing the gospel, visiting new lands, reaching new people because they were desperate to get it done before Jesus came back. It's a long time later, and we're still trying to reach the ends of the earth, but the disciples couldn't accomplish that and that in their lifetime, which should tell us something. When Jesus said those words, that wor- those words were a call to all believers, not just the disciples. Those words were a call to those of us who still put our faith in Jesus Christ today. We are to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. We are to be Christ's witnesses A pastor in Alabama said one time, you are either a missionary or a mission field. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. If you haven't, you are a mission field. You are a place where missionaries need to reach. Well, what does that say to us? If that's true, if we're missionaries, if this call was to all of us, then we've got a job to do. And we don't know when Christ is coming back. It could be today. And we need to be about the job that Jesus left us with. We need to be about doing what he asked us to do, which was being witnesses. We are missionaries. Not just the people that stand up here and preach the last couple weeks or the people that will stand up here and preach in the next couple weeks. But we are missionaries. And the question isn't whether we're called to be a missionary or not. The question is, which mission field have we been called to? You see, we have the same advantage that the disciples had. When they received the the Holy Spirit, it wasn't for them alone. Take a look at Acts chapter 2. Verse 38 says this, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. We all receive the Holy Spirit when we put our faith, our trust in Christ alone as our Savior. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Because that makes our words worth something. When we witness for Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is preparing the people that we're going to be witnessing to. The Holy Spirit is preparing the time that we will be able to reach them with that message. He is working out the opportunities. The Holy Spirit is moving time and space and matter to make it possible for you to meet with someone else at a particular time and share with them the truth of God's word. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you and to me if we have put our faith in Christ. And we need to be witnesses for Christ. I don't know what your mission field is. 
Maybe the mission field that you've been called to is Econo Foods. I should put postcards out on the wall with my picture and Econo Foods in the background. Maybe your mission field is Marquette General Hospital. Maybe your mission field is Marquette Senior High School. Maybe your mission field, maybe you have been called by God to be a missionary to Pioneer Surgical. Maybe you've been called by God to be a missionary to the mines. I don't know where you've been called, where the Holy Spirit has arranged for you to have contact with those who don't know Christ, but you are called to be a missionary, a witness for Jesus Christ in that place. Not only have we all received the Holy Spirit, the fact that we've received the Holy Spirit is a mark of God's ownership on us. Ephesians 1, chapter 13. Sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 13. says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. We have received this same Holy Spirit, the power of this same Holy Spirit, not so that we can do amazing miracles and do all kinds of great things that people will stand in awe of because of us, but so that when we speak the truth of God's word, when we witness to people, when we share with people what God has done in our lives and what he can do in theirs, those words will make a difference, not because of us, but because the Spirit has been preparing them and arranging that moment. This is the mission of Acts chapter 1. Not that some of us would be called to the mission field, but that all of us are called to the mission field. It's just a matter of where. If the Holy Spirit is doing it all, then what is our part? And why do we have to go? Why do we have to tell people if the Holy Spirit is doing all that work? Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Jesus Christ has sent us to be his witnesses. We have been sent and now we need to preach. We need to tell others about Jesus Christ because without that, how will they hear? The mission of the church of God is for us to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth and Marquette, Michigan. You know, as I was thinking about all this, thinking about how this affected my life, what that meant for me. I think of all the missed opportunities that I've had at work to share the gospel, to just share what Christ is doing in my life. I try and talk about God at work fairly often. 
I think my boss gets somewhat annoyed when I stop into his office and tell him what's going on at the church here. I'm not sure that he really cares, but I like to tell him anyway. But how many other opportunities have I missed? You know, Paul Wolf stood up here and he said that there was a, a study of evangelical Christians and that study concluded that 98% of the people that they had talked to had never shared their faith with another person. That was a shocking... Now, I don't know if you were shocked by that number, but I was shocked by that number. Partly because at Bethel Baptist Church, if I were to take a survey just in my own mind of the people that I know, so many of them have shared their faith. I, I've gotten to, to be a part... For, for a little time of, of everyday evangelism, to see what's going on there, to see the number of you that are involved in that. And I would say that number can't be as high as 98% in our church at least. But I also have to ask the question, even if that number is as low as 51%, we have to realize that the majority of us, if that number was true, the majority of us have never shared our faith with someone else. The question is why? What's stopping us? Maybe we're worried that we don't know what to say. Maybe we're worried we'll tell somebody the wrong thing. Maybe we're worried that if we tell somebody something, they'll ask us a question that we don't know the answer to. Maybe we're worried we'll screw it up. Maybe we're worried because of the way that we've lived and we're worried that they're going to think that we're a hypocrite. Because maybe we've got a past I want us to understand those kinds of concerns, those kind of worries, those kinds of things that come up in our minds, those aren't unique to us. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses, I'm just going to start at verse 1. It says, And I, Paul's speaking, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. The greatest missionary that the Bible tells us about. The greatest missionary that I have ever heard about is the Apostle Paul, and he was scared to death and trembling to share the word of God with other people. And he says he chose to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified when he came to them. Some of us don't have an option. That's all we know. We've put our faith in Christ, and that's all we know, that Jesus Christ was crucified for us. That's all we have to share. But it doesn't take lofty words or wisdom. Because it doesn't have to do with us to begin with. We talk about all these excuses that I've thought in my own mind why I don't share the gospel more. Why I don't tell more people about Christ. All of these things that go through my mind. They're all about me. And what the beginning of Acts and the whole book of Acts is telling us is none of it's about us. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And whether we want to or not, when we put our faith in Christ, we are witnesses for Christ. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. 
and beyond the ends of the world to places like Marquette. You don't have to go to a foreign country to be a missionary. You are a missionary. And it doesn't matter the fears that go through your mind. It doesn't matter the lack of knowledge that you have. That's why we're here growing, connecting, and serving so that we can build that up. But we've got to start telling because that is what the Holy Spirit helps us with. That's the the power of the Holy Spirit. When he arranges those times and we know that's one of those moments that we need to share Christ with someone, we need to open our mouths and share it and not worry about what might happen because the Holy Spirit works all that out. We can't, no matter what you say to somebody, you're never going to change them and convince them to follow Christ because you can't. The Holy Spirit does that. That's why in the Old Testament, Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The number one fear that people have in sharing their faith is the fear of rejection. What if somebody rejects my words? You are not unique in that either. You know, Jesus Christ returned to his hometown. And when he got there and started telling them the life-saving message of what he was going to do for them, they rejected him. They say, this is, just, this is just the carpenter's son. Why would we listen to him? The Bible tells us that his message there had no effect. It tells us that he did a little bit of healing there, but nothing else miraculous happened because, not because he didn't have the power to do something, He was filled with the Spirit. It wasn't because he didn't have the power to do something. It was because nobody cared. Nobody was listening. Jesus Christ knows how you feel. The fear of rejection. His own hometown didn't listen to a word he said. In fact, it was right after that that he gave the disciples power to heal and do things because his ministry there had no effect. They were looking at his past. The fact that he was just the carpenter's son, just this lowly person. Maybe you've got a past. The Holy Spirit can work around that. Your job, your purpose is to witness for Christ. To tell other people what Christ has done for you. It doesn't mean that you need to write down every, with every person you meet a time and a place where you'll sit down and lay out the whole gospel for them. But it means you need to be talking to them about what Jesus Christ has done for you. You need to be talking about what Jesus Christ can do for them, why they need a Savior, why you needed a Savior. You need to be a witness of what Jesus Christ has done for you. The question keeps coming up to me as I'm preparing this sermon. God, why did you keep giving me that word, radioactive? If it wasn't for a message that I was going to share, why did you keep giving it to me? You know, that word had come back into my mind so often that I thought, well, maybe there's some real neat application I can draw from that into spiritual life, and I can preach it in a message sometime. One of the, one of the people in the UP that I admire more than words is Jeff Martin out in Gwynn. 
He works with UP Bible Camp. He's a, he's a chemistry teacher at the, at the high school in Gwynn. He's a youth pastor. He's a busy guy. And I called him on the phone and I asked him to explain to me radiation. Like, what is it? I, I keep getting this word from God and I, I don't know why. I want to understand it. I want to use it as an illustration in a sermon, but I need to understand it first. And he was kind to take the time to explain it to me. And it was a lot. And I didn't know there's lots of different kinds of radiation. There's alpha radiation and beta radiation and gamma radiation. And in reality, the more he explained it, the less I saw how that related to anything. Radiation uh, happens because of the decay of an atom. And it starts to shoot things out because it's decaying. How does that apply to... I I don't know. I don't get it. So I, I kept studying... And I I found out that the way that chemists see radiation is slightly different than the way that physicists see radiation. And so I started watching a bunch of YouTube videos about how physicists look at radiation. And although it was similar, it was still nothing that would help me in a sermon anytime. And yet the title of my sermon today is Radioactive Church because I think it does have an application. See, I looked it up in the dictionary. And although it mentions atoms, radiation is really just a word that talks about something radiating out, okay? And radioactive is just a word that describes something that is radiating, okay? It's pretty simple, basic stuff in English until you start talking to scientists. But if I boiled all the information that I got down to one simple thing, it's this, that when an atom, atoms have a certain number of protons and a certain number of neutrons, and when that combination is unfavorable, they shoot one out, and it creates energy. And when that energy leaves, depending on what type of radiation it is, when that energy leaves, it can affect something else can change the makeup of something else. We understand that. We remember Chernobyl. We remember the disaster there. And the effects of that radiation, how it affected people, made them sick, made their skin burn, made them die. It affected them significantly. And those effects last, even if you go there today, that radiation is still there. It's a lasting effect. I want us to understand that as people, we're like little stable atoms. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we become a child of God, and the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, comes on us and fills us, we have an unfavorable balance. What do I mean? The unfavorable balance is that now, we, the church, have all of the life-saving information. We have information that can change people's lives, that can save them, that can bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and a relationship with the God of this world. We have that information. And all Christ has asked us to do is open our mouths and witness to other people about that information. And his spirit does the rest. As a church, we have all of the information, and yet the world around us desperately needs it. That's where the unfavorable balance comes in. 
And we need to start shooting out particles, words, messages about Christ and what he's done for us. Messages about how he's affected our lives, how he's changing us, what we're learning. And as we do that, we start to affect the people around us, the people in Marquette, the people in the Amazon, the people in New Guinea, the people who the, for the first time open up God's word in their own language. Now they're affected by the Holy Spirit who's been working on their heart and has brought the word of God to them and it changes them in a lasting way that can't be gotten rid of. A lasting way that can't be changed. And now, as they are part of this unfavorable balance, they begin to shoot off particles. They start sharing information about God. And pretty soon, we have a radioactive church that is affecting the world around us in an unchangeable way. Not because of us. Not because we're doing some great work. Because we're simply obeying Jesus' message to witness. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. He prepares them. He arranges the time that we'll get to talk to them. That coworker that you've been looking for time to, to share with them. The Holy Spirit will arrange that. Start praying for opportunities. I guarantee the Holy Spirit will take you up on that. You will have opportunity to witness, to share what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's as simple as that. The fear of lack of knowledge, the fear of rejection, all of those things are taken care of by the Holy Spirit who has gone before us and arranged the whole thing to begin with. We just need to be faithful and obedient to be witnesses. We are all missionaries. Every one of us who has put our faith in Jesus Christ is a missionary. And we need to start sharing what God has done for us. If our church began to do that at a percentage higher than 40 or 50, 49%, or whatever it is in our church, imagine the impact, the radioactive type of impact that we would have on the world around us, on Marquette, on the people that we work with, the people that we struggle with. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that in your plan, you arranged for everything to work out just like you planned. And God, you know the times and the places. You know when you're coming back. You know when your son is going to set up his earthly kingdom, but we don't. Thank you, God, that we don't. Because while we wait, God, Understanding that it could be tomorrow, let us be about the business of sharing you with other people. Let us be radioactive in our, our witness. Let your spirit affect the people who we share with. Let us be instruments for your spirit. I thank you, God, that we can, though Christ isn't here with us today, that we can be used of God because of the Spirit. That our, our witness and our effect on the world is the same as Christ's was because of your Spirit. 
I thank you that it doesn't have anything to do with us. I thank you that you're not relying on my intelligence. I thank you that you're not relying on my ability to get things right. I thank you that your spirit covers up for me. I thank you that I don't have to convince anybody. I thank thank you for the fact that nobody's salvation is riding on my ability to share you in the right way, only in my ability to share. I pray, God, that you would help me to open my mouth more than I do. I pray that everyone that meets me, everyone that knows me, everyone that works with me, everyone that I'm around knows that I love you and what you're doing in my life is making a difference in my life. That what you've done for me is beyond what what I can even imagine and comprehend. Help them to know who you are because I talk about you all the time. God, I've not been that way. And I'm sorry for that. I pray that you would forgive me for missing the opportunities that the Holy Spirit is setting up for me. But I pray, God, because I don't know when you're coming back, that from this day on, I would be your witness. I would tell other people what you're doing for me and what you can do for them. I thank you so much for who you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.